thought, I don't remember ordering anything. And uh, so I went and I picked it up, and it was kind of smushy. And uh, I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And uh, I shook it like you do, like a kid would do for a Christmas present, trying to figure out what it is. And uh, I hadn't ordered anything, and so I thought, you know, hopefully it's not an April Fool's joke early or something like that. And uh, I opened it, and uh, someone anonymously sent me a, uh, a, a package of um, lima beans. And uh, <clears throat> if you know me, you know that I don't have much of an affinity for lima beans. In fact, I detest lima beans, okay? <clears throat> uh, I hate the world, the flesh, the devil, the dentist, and lima beans. And uh, not necessarily in that order, I might add. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> so uh, anyway... Uh, but I, I found somebody who's going to take those off my hands. Ms. Lepley said that she would gladly take those lima beans off of my hands. And so uh, I have them uh, on my desk, and they're just waiting to live for others. Amen. So uh, <clears throat> anyway, John chapter 13. I had, a, I had a purpose in telling you that story. Now I don't remember what it was. Uh, I think I'm having a senior moment. I'm not sure. But uh, they say the first thing to go is your memory. And the second thing to go is, the second thing to go is John chapter 13. If you'll stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Word. John chapter number 13. And we'll read the first two verses, and then we'll skip down to verse number 10. John chapter 13, verse number 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them even unto the end, or loved them unto the end. Verse 2, And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Skip down to verse number 10 with me, if you will. Jesus saith to him, he's talking here to Peter, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. Verse 11, For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. I want to preach to you this morning on this subject, the ultimate April Fool. The ultimate April Fool. And let's pray. Our Father, I pray that you help us in these next few moments. Fathers, we uh, preach along the lines of the events that lead up to Easter over these next several weeks. Father, I pray that you'd help us to afresh and anew understand uh, the events that took place, uh, the betrayal of our Savior, the, uh, uh, the, the trial, the unjust trial, the suffering, the, uh, the beating, the torment. And then, Father, the fact that Jesus took upon Him the sins of us all. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes were healed and then, fathers, we approach the Resurrection Sunday. What a, what a joy as we remember that, uh, that the gospel is the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. I pray that you'd help us. Father, this morning we'll talk about a very important subject, and I pray that you'd keep all of us from becoming so foolish as to be so close to heaven and yet reject the Savior. Father, help us to grasp it. I pray that for those of us who are saved, help us... Uh, with our lives to, uh, to glorify the Savior. Father, if there's one here this morning who doesn't know the Savior personally, I pray that today would be that day for that soul that's nearest hell. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. 
<clears throat> well, tomorrow, as I mentioned a little bit earlier in the service, tomorrow is April 1st, and you know what that means. That's uh, April Fool's Day. It's a day where practical jokesters have a heyday, and uh, many times I have been on the receiving end of someone's April Fool's Day prank, and, uh, and I'm sure some of you have as well. We won't take time for testimonies along those lines this morning, but uh, watch out for the practical jokesters. I did a little reading this week about the history of April Fool's Day, and I found it pretty interesting. Although April Fool's Day, also called All Fool's Day, has been celebrated for several centuries by different cultures around the world, its exact origins remain a mystery. Some historians speculate that April Fool's Day dates back to 1582, when France switched from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar that we are familiar with today. And People who were slow to get the news or failed to recognize that the start of a new year had moved to January the 1st, uh, they continued to celebrate it during the last week of March through April. And folks looked at those people and say, look, uh, New Year's Day was a long time ago. You're an April fool. Historians have also linked April Fool's Day to festivals such as Hilaria, which was celebrated in ancient Rome at the end of March and it continued through the 1st of April. And get this, it involved people dressing up in disguises. This whole notion of this Roman festival was such that people pretended to be somebody that they were not. They would uh, dress themselves, disguise themselves as a family member, as a uh, as someone that they knew, a close friend, or someone that, that they knew uh, not at all, but they were pretending to be somebody that they were not. And it's speculated by some historians that that's where we get the term April Fool's Day, or April's uh, All Fool's Day, as is, has been known throughout history. This morning I want to preach on the subject, the ultimate April Fool. And in the context of what we just talked about, the illustration uh, as far as the history of April Fool's, someone who pretended to be someone that he was not. Someone who gave the impression that he was something, that he was somebody, he represented somebody that he had nothing to do with on a personal level. And you may have guessed by now, by the reading of the text from John chapter 13, that the man we're talking about this morning is simply, you know him and I know him, as Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. It was this man who fooled some of the most revered and respected men of the New Testament. If you think I'm being harsh on this man, I think by the end of the message that you'll agree with the premise of the message because this April fool had everybody fooled. Everybody in his close circle of acquaintances, everybody who knew Judas Iscariot, even on a personal level, you think about this, Judas Iscariot spent three and a half years with some of what we would term the finest Christians in the history of Christianity. We're talking about Peter and James and John and Andrew and Bartholomew and Thomas and on and on all through the other 11 disciples that Jesus handpicked. And these were men who were close acquaintances, close friends, if you will. They ate meals together. They, uh, they spent much time together. And yet Judas Iscariot had all of them fooled. He disguised himself as someone 
that in reality he was not. On two different occasions in the New Testament, Judas is simply referred to as, quote, Simon's son, end quote. We read it here in John chapter 13 and verse number 1. It, talked, it refers to Judas as, or verse number 2 rather, it refers to Judas Iscariot as Simon's son. Every time I read that, <clears throat> my heart breaks for the man Simon. We have no idea. Of course, Simon was as common a name in the culture of that day <clears throat> as James or John is to us or Bill or Bob or whatever. Very common name. So we don't know that the Bible doesn't specifically identify Simon other than to say this was the Simon who was the father of the most infamous character among the disciples, this man named Judas Iscariot. And the Bible twice refers to him as simply Simon's son. I think about the pride that a father feels when his son is doing right or excels in some area. You know, I, uh, I love to see the sporting events, and uh, of course, we're in the middle of the NCAA tournament, and of course, uh, whenever uh, uh, someone <laughs> makes an incredible play or a player's having an unbelievable game, and many times his parents will be in the stands or in the bleachers and uh, you know, behind the bench or whatever, and I love to see the camera <clears throat> uh, zoom in on the parents of a player, and there's a, the, the, there's a mother or a father, in, in, in some cases both mother and father, who are there. Man, they're just beaming with pride because their son just hit the winning shot, or their son just had the 30-point game, or their son just did something amazing. And I, it's, it's neat to watch as, uh, uh, as how proud they are of their son in that particular case. And then I read about the uh, fathers in the Bible who must have felt the joy in their soul for a son who was blessed and famous for all the right reasons. I was reading the other day about uh, Joseph there in Egypt, and he was the vice pharaoh, if you will. He was second in command, second only to pharaoh in prestige and in power in the land of Egypt. And I read the other day where Jacob, as an old man, he was just a few years before he was to go on to, to glory, how Jacob went and finally saw Joseph after all those years of thinking that he was dead, after all those years of thinking that some wild animal had killed him, and now to see that reunion of Jacob and his uh, son uh, Joseph and the joy and the pride and the the thrill and the rejoicing that there must have been between a father and his son. I think about Jesse, the, the, the father of David, how that, that David ascended the throne and David, just the shepherd boy, David that no one would have given the time of day because when Samuel went to, uh, to anoint the, the king of Israel in Jesse's house, he said, bring your sons out. I want to see them because God is going to, uh, to anoint one of your sons as the next king of Israel. And of course, they brought out the oldest and then the second oldest and the third oldest. And they went all the way down the line and Samuel said to Jesse, are these all of them? Where is that? There's got to be someone else. And no Notice Jesse just kind of discounted things and said, well, yeah, there's, there's David out there, but he's minding his own business. In fact, he's minding my business. He's keeping my sheep. And Samuel said, bring him in. And of course, God impressed upon the heart of the prophet Samuel to anoint little David as the next king of Israel. And I think about the joy that, uh, that no doubt David brought to his father's heart, uh, his father Jesse. And then I think about David himself as the father, as Solomon ascended the throne and the pride with which uh, that, that David no doubt had in his son Solomon. And, and, and that's a wonderful thing. And then I think about Simon, this Simon. The Simon of whom the Bible says was the father of a man named Judas Iscariot. 
I think about the heartbreak. And I'll be honest with you, every time I read that passage and I read those two words, Simon's son, there's a part of me that wants to weep for Simon. You see, Judas was the ultimate April fool. He disguised himself as someone that he was not. I want to give you several thoughts this morning about this ultimate April fool. Number one, he was a disciple in reputation, but not in character. Judas Iscariot, the ultimate April fool, he was a disciple in reputation, but he was not a disciple in character. You see, everybody who knew Judas recognized him as, hey, there's one of the twelve. He walked with him. He probably looked a lot like him. In fact, if you could line up, <clears throat> excuse me, if you could line up the 12 apostles and say, which one is Judas? There's probably not one of us who could pick him out of a crowd. He probably didn't look sinister. <laughs> he probably did not look guilty. He probably did not have any distinguishing characteristic that would make you think that he was the one who would betray the Son of God. He was hand-chosen by our Lord to be one of the men who would follow him. And his reputation was, hey, he's one of the disciples. I, I can imagine Judas being there on the day when, uh, when Jesus took the little boy's lunch and blessed it. And Judas was one of the ones who would take and, and he would distribute <coughs> some of that uh, fish and bread to those who were present that day. And, and no one ever suspected Judas to be a betrayer. No one ever suspected Judas to be a traitor. That's not, that's not what he, that's not the persona. That's not the, uh, uh, that's not the impression that he would give. You see, his reputation was he was one of the disciples. Little kids looked at Judas and they said, hey, there's Judas. He's one of Jesus' followers. He's one of the 12. The problem is this. Our reputation is what people think about us. Our character is what God knows about us. Our reputation is what people think about us. Now, let me stop and say this. I'm not saying at all that our reputation is not important because it is. Our reputation is important. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. We ought to have a good name. A good name is, is, uh, is best built from the inside out. And that's where Judas failed. You see, our, if our character is what it ought to be, a good name will eventually be the result of a good character. You see, if Judas, oh yes, he had the reputation. He was known by everybody. Well, there's one of Jesus' followers, but on the inside, he was not a follower of Christ. On the inside, the Bible calls him the son of perdition. On the inside, he was a traitor. On the inside, he was a deceiver. On the inside, he was a con artist. On the inside, he was a supplanter, just like uh, the name Jacob of old. You see, Judas got it backwards. His only concern was that he had the reputation of being a disciple, but on the inside, he was not at all a follower of Christ. Let me ask you a question this morning. Does your inside character match your outside reputation? That's a great question for all of us. By the way, saved and unsaved alike this morning. Does our inside character match what people suppose us to be? Does our inside character, does our integrity, does our, <coughs> excuse me, does our, does, who we really are. By the way, that's your character. Your character is who you really are. Dr. Bob Jones Sr., been in heaven now for many decades. He said, character is what you are in the dark. 
Character is what you are if no one else, it, no, character is what you would do if no one else would find out what you did. <laughs> and you knew that. That's character. And Judas, his reputation was, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. Hey, look at me. I'm, 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 I'm riding along with Peter, James, John, and all the other guys, and, and I'm right here with Jesus, and I'm listening to him preach, and I'm saying amen, and I'm, uh, I'm watching the miracles, and I'm in all of those things, and, and, uh, and I say all the right things, and I do all the right things on the outside. But Judas's character did not live up to his reputation. For a long time, everybody thought Judas was truly a disciple. But let me tell you something. Judas knew differently. Judas knew differently. You're sitting here this morning, and uh, you say, well, <clears throat> Pastor, I have a reputation among folks in the church. That's wonderful. You ought to have a good reputation. But your reputation ought to be an outgrowth of who you really are. You see, we know how to put on the dog, don't we? We know, how to, we know how to say all the right things and, and do all the right actions. And, and uh, I don't know about you, if your testimony is like mine, many of you, you've been in church a good long time. And that's wonderful. But wait a minute, there's a danger there also. And the danger is you can look the role, you can talk the talk, you can, uh, you can have everything right as far as the outward trappings of religion. But let me ask you something. Is that who you really are? Is that who you really are? The Bible says that let a man examine himself to see whether or not he's in the faith. That, that examination is an inward examination. Not an outward trappings, an inward examination. Number two, I want you to see this. Not only was Judas a disciple in reputation, but not in character. Number two, he was a disciple in appearance, but not in substance. He was a disciple in appearance, but not in substance. If we could see a lineup of the 12 disciples, as I mentioned a moment ago, chances are we would not be able to pick Judas out of the crowd. He was a moral person. Judas wasn't, uh, he wasn't a low-life-looking guy. <laughs> he, he was an upstanding character. If you looked at Judas, you'd say, man, there's a great guy there. He was apparently trustworthy. you say, how do you know that? Well, the other 11 disciples entrusted Judas to be the treasurer. They gave, the Bible says he held the bag. That doesn't mean he held his wife's purse, fellas. That's not what he's talking about there. <laughs> the Bible says he held the bag. What was it talking about? He was the treasurer of the disciples. In other words, they entrusted him with their money. Now look, somebody that you would give your wallet to, fellas, and walk away and, and say, hey, watch this for me. You trust that guy. At least you, you're foolish if you don't trust him to give him, to give him your wallet. But, uh, but Judas was trusted by others. He didn't drink. He didn't curse. He didn't behave in a way that would take anything away from his being recognized as one of the 12. But wait a minute. He looked, everything looked good on the outside. His reputation was good. His appearance was good. But what, he's, what he appeared to be was not what he was in substance. You see, there were two people on the face of the earth that knew that Judas was a fraud and an imposter. Two people. Two people and only two people who knew who Judas really was. And by the way, the same two people that know who I really am. The same two people that know who you really are. You see, who knew Judas like no one else knew Judas was Jesus and Judas himself. And 
you and I, <clears throat> there's two people who know who you, you and I really are. God knows all about all of us. We talked about it this morning. God knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. He knows our motives. He knows what we do. He knows why we do it. He knows what we're thinking. He knows, uh, uh, he knows what we are and what we are not. It doesn't, you know, God cuts through all of the pretense of what our appearance is and what our reputation is, and he knows exactly who we are. And by the way, he knows more than we do. He knows more than we do. But we also know what we really are, or at least have a pretty good idea. You see, Judas and Jesus were the only two people who knew exactly what he was all about. Abraham Lincoln is, is uh, credited for quoting this. You can fool all the people some of the time, and, you can, and some of the people all the time, but you cannot fool all the people all the time. And may I add a line to that? You can fool God none of the time. God's not fooled by any of us. We can fool men. We can make pretense. Hey, we can be the April fool that disguises himself as someone that he or she is not. But God knows. God looks through that. The great desire of our hearts ought to be that we are who we claim to be. I don't know about you. I don't want to be a fraud. I don't want to be phony. I don't want to be somebody who's viewed as, well, yeah, that's, that's what he says, but how he lives is a different way. Well, yeah, that's what, that, that's what he appears to be. That's what his reputation is. But that's really not him. And I think all of us would echo that sentiment. You know, I want to be the real deal. I don't want to be the ultimate April Fool, as was Judas. The substance of who we really are ought to match who we want others to think that we are. Number three, I want you to see this. Judas was numbered with the church, but was not truly a member of the church. Don't miss this. Judas was numbered with the church, but was not truly a member of the church. Oh, if Judas lived in our day, he would no doubt have had his name on a church roll somewhere. By the way, as far as we know, Judas was faithful to attend all the meetings of the disciples. I believe it was Jesus who started the church, for it was Jesus who said, Talking to Peter, he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Uh, Jesus, uh, further, when he talked about uh, matters of discipline within the church, he talked about uh, taking something or taking it to the church. Some people believe that the church was started in Acts chapter 2, and uh, I respectfully disagree with that. I believe Jesus started the church during his ministry right here on the earth before he ever went to Calvary. And I believe that Judas would have been one of those charter members. Amen. He would have been one of those charter members of the first church. The first church. But wait a minute. He was there when Jesus fed the 5,000. He was there when the maniac of Gadara was given his right mind after having the demons cast out of him. He may very well have been there when Lazarus was raised from the dead. Not one time do we read in the Gospels that Judas was slack in his commitments as a member of the disciples, a member of that first church, if you will. I believe Jesus started that church in the New Testament and that Judas, by his association, was involved with that group of believers. But wait a minute, there's one glaring problem. Judas was not truly a member of the church. You say, Pastor, how can you say that? I'll tell you how I can say that, because Judas was not a believer. And to be a, to be a member of a, of a church like the Lake Crest Baptist Church, there's two requirements to be a church member here. First of all, you've got to be saved. You got to be saved. Saved and then baptized. 
after salvation. Baptism does not save you. You've heard me say it many, many times. I said just about every Sunday because I don't want anybody to have the impression that those waters there uh, wash away your sins. No, sir. It's the blood of Jesus that washes away your sins. And you've got to come to Christ by faith. And, and being uh, dunked in that tank of water right there is a, is a matter of identity. I'm identifying with Jesus Christ in his death and burial and his resurrection. I'm being obedient as a follower of Christ. And, and the prerequisites to being a member of a Bible-believing Baptist church is salvation and baptism. But wait a minute. Judas may have made a profession, but he had no possession. Judas made the right profession. Oh, he had all the right words to say about Jesus. But let me tell you something. In his heart, and by the way, by the, way the Bible says, with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. You can say all the right stuff on the outside, but if your heart isn't with it, hey, yeah, you, don't, you don't get saved by just repeating a set of words. You get saved, the Bible says, with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made. But let me say something. Judas was not truly a member of the church because Judas was not a believer. The church is a local body of baptized believers. Let me say this morning, you can make a public profession and you can be baptized, but if you've not been saved, it means nothing when you stand before the Lord. You can have your name written on every document in Oakland County as far as the church role is concerned, but that won't take you to heaven, my friend. I was listening to a country preacher one time, and he was talking about this matter. He said, you can be baptized in the creek down there so many times that the tadpoles know your social security number, but that won't take you to heaven. <laughs> it won't. You're not saved by, baptized, by baptism. You're not saved by good works. You're not saved by having your name on a roll in this church or any other church for that matter. You're saved by trusting Christ. You're saved by repenting of any other way to heaven except Jesus and putting your faith and trust in him. That's it. That's it. The sin question and the son question, have you dealt with it? You say, preacher, I've been in this church a long time. Are you saved? Are you saved? But preacher, everybody here thinks I'm saved, but are you saved? Everybody thought Judas was okay, but he wasn't. Oh, but pastor, it would be embarrassing if, if people found out after all this time that I wasn't saved. How embarrassing will it be at the judgment? Here's a question for you. Preacher, I'd be embarrassed to admit in front of all these people that I've known for all these years. Hey, let me tell you something. If you got saved, I don't care what your name is. If you got saved this morning, if you got assurance of your salvation this morning, everybody in here who's right with the Lord would say, praise the Lord, glory to God, hallelujah. You're among friends here. But what a shame it would be to be disguised as an April Fool Christian who really didn't have it on the inside. What a shame. What a shame. Last thing this morning, and we're going to shut her down and go to the house. Number four, Judas was close to the door of heaven, but never entered. Judas Iscariot, the ultimate April fool, he was close as you could get to the door of heaven, but he never entered the door. You see, the Bible says that Jesus, Jesus said, I'm the door. <laughs> Jesus is the door to heaven he's the way the truth the life <clears throat> think for a moment <clears throat> how much time judas spent with jesus think about it in three and a half years three and a half years that's a long time three and one half years during the ministry of christ on this earth think of all the meals that judas spent and shared with jesus 
Think of how many times they had a snack together. Think, about, think of how many times they shared a meal together. Think of how many times, think of all the words that Judas heard Jesus say that, not even, that, that are not even recorded in the Bible. That's, that's astounding to me. You understand, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and those are, those are uh, the different gospel narratives. And all four of those books were written, of course, authored by the Holy Spirit, penned by those four men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But they give a different perspective on the life of the Savior. But understand, Jesus said many, many, many things to those apostles that you and I have never seen in print. Many things. And think about this. Judas Iscariot heard many of those with his own ears. That's amazing to me. And yet he never trusted Christ for salvation. That's astounding. And it's sad. Think about the miracles that Judas witnessed. Think of the times that Judas heard Jesus pray. I've said it often. There are two things that I, I, I wish I could hear, I, I could have heard as, as one of the disciples. Number one, to hear Jesus preach and to hear Jesus pray. I can't imagine what it must have been to hear Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, talk to his heavenly Father. That gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. But you know what? Judas heard it. Judas heard it. No doubt there were many times that Judas was there and he, uh, and he shook the hand of the Savior or he gave him a hug or he greeted him in a, in a, in a physical way uh, according to the customs of that day. Let me tell you something. He was so familiar with the door of heaven, but he never opened the door and walked inside. Never did. Say, preacher, how do you know that? Acts chapter 1, verse 25, the Bible says, talking about Judas, talking about the, the choosing of a successor to Judas as a disciple, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. Let me tell you, Judas' own place is not heaven. I can tell you that for sure. If there's any doubt about it after that, understand what Jesus said in John 17, 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou hast given me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition. The son of perdition. The word perdition there means damnation. Wow. Judas, where is he at today? According to the word of God, Judas is in hell. Judas is in hell. You say, how is that possible? He was one of the disciples by name, by reputation, but not by character. He never received Christ. He never was who he said he was. Oh, how is it possible that Judas is in hell, Pastor? How is it possible? He knew Jesus. He, he talked with him. He communed with him. He ate meals with him. He saw the miracles. He heard the sermons. He heard him pray. How is it possible? Because Judas was the ultimate April Fool. He was disguised as somebody that he was not. I beg you this morning, I beg you, don't be an April Fool. Don't go to hell from the pews of the Lake Crest Baptist Church. One of my most horrific thoughts is for somebody who regularly attends the Lake Crest Baptist Church to know all the songs, all the lingo, all the words, and yet never receive Christ.
as we close this morning, I ask you a question. Are you an April fool? Well, I hope not. How foolish can a person be? Eternal life is not found close to Jesus. Eternal life is found in Jesus. In Jesus. Let me give you a verse. John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 11. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is, don't miss it, and this life is in his son. In his son. Judas' problem was he was close to the son, but not in the son. He was in close proximity, physically, to the Son of God. But he never received him as his Savior. I'm not here to try to get you to doubt your salvation this morning. God knows my heart. And the truth of the matter is, if you're saved, I probably couldn't talk you out of it. At least I hope that's the case. Because once you're saved, hey, you're sealed into the day of redemption. The Bible says we're eternally secure in Christ. John 3, 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The purpose of the message this morning is simple. Don't be an April fool. Don't give all the outward appearances as a pretense of being saved and yet die without Christ and spend eternity in a lake of fire. You say, Pastor... Is it possible that somebody who's a member of the Lake Crest Baptist Church be lost and not really a believer in Christ? Let me ask you a question. Was it possible that Jesus had 12 disciples and one of them wasn't saved? There's your answer. There's your answer. And I cannot speak for anyone but myself. And you cannot, and by the way, I'll not stand as far as your eternal destiny is concerned. You can't stand before the Lord one day and say, Lord, I can't, look, surely I'm saved. I was a member of a gospel-preaching, soul-winning church. That's not good enough. It's not good enough. Wait a minute. Jesus said it. He said, there will be many who will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these wonderful things in your name? Have we not prophesied? Have we not done this? Have we not done that? But at the end of the day, he said, I'm going to look at those people and say, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting darkness. I never knew you. What a sad, sad statement. What a sad scene. I ask you this morning, do some soul searching. Again, not here to try to make you doubt your salvation. But if you are having doubts, oh, don't go out those doors without them having, having settled them. I'm not here to cause you to wonder about it. But if you are, don't be an April fool. Don't be a Judas who had all the outward trappings, but he never had Christ. He never had Christ. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed.